This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You are listening to White Chattanooga. I'm Dooner. This is What the Truck, and I'm here with the dude. Welcome, everybody, to this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful February um, winter afternoon in uh, Freight Alley. Yeah. Got a little bit of an announcement. I put this out on oh, social did. media yesterday, but uh, last two Freight Waves radios episodes uh, are coming up this weekend, and next it's uh, the end of a two-year era, right? Uh, Sirius XM that came to us, we decided not to renew our contract you know we're at a different place than we were two years ago when we signed it we've grown a lot but the position they had us in i don't know we couldn't really grow out of there we were still in that same time slot uh mm. one thing i also didn't like is that this is free right our tv's free yeah. all of this stuff you out there anywhere on earth you have a podcast player you can check us out on here sirius xm we had to wall you off with a subscription right oh yeah yeah Take down the subscriptions take down the paywalls damn them give the people what they need and give it to them free Right? Down that wall. Yeah. So you want to hear all of our stuff, and you need even more content, you're making the switch. Look up Freightcast on your favorite podcast player of choice. You're going to get every single Freight Waves podcast on your own feed. It's like having your own uh, It's like having your own radio station, your own network right in your earbuds. It certainly is. It certainly is. I loved my time when I was on it, though. Yeah. Who was, you what, do you have a moment? moment? What was your most memorable moment? I, I think the funniest moment that I was on was when the guy, the, the driver, I forget. Was he the guy from, uh, New, uh, from uh, New Zealand? The, the, was he the Kiwi or whatever? Something he like said that. he wouldn't take the vaccine because his, his buddy took the vaccine and turned him into a werewolf or something like that. Something like that. <laughs> that well, hilarious. thank you to our listeners, right? You know, it, it's, been, it's been fantastic. Like I said, we've gone through this, 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 this big growth, but we needed a, uh, we needed a bigger fishbowl. Speaking of fishbowls. It's hard to contain us. It's all about marijuana logistics today on the show, <laughs> but before we get there... Fishbowls, huh? Is that an insight into your past? Fishbowls? Let's, uh, lay, let's tip the band <laughs> and uh, hit the headlines over here. This episode is brought to you by Legend Transportation, which has been establishing partnerships through outstanding customer service since 2007. Learn more at newlegendinc.com. Boom, 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 boom. Headline time. Yeah, all right, man. here's some news for you. Trucking jobs in the U.S. fell month over month. Not great. John mm. Kingston reports that in a stunning development in the midst of the strong trucking market, the number of jobs in the trucking sector in the U.S. fell in January from December, according to data released Friday morning from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. I remember you guys referencing that yesterday on the midday market update. But not only that, but the revisions for December and November mean that there were fewer people working in the sector during those months than uh, what was originally estimated by BLS. Yeah, absolutely. And according to the BLS seasonally adjusted data, uh, trucking jobs oh, in the U.S. Hey, in hey, January. Yeah, what? You said absolutely. Oh, man, I've been caught. <laughs> well, hey, that's just good stuff, isn't yes. it? <laughs> there we go. So anyways, according to the BLS seasonally adjusted data, trucking jobs in the U.S. in January totaled 1,475,400. That was down from one. 0.478 million or 3,000 jobs. So, but the summer number, which is still listed as preliminary, was cut from the preliminary number issued last month of 1,484,000 jobs in trucking. So, there's a lot of preliminaries in there. The point is, it mm-hmm. was adjusted down, it went down. Um, and there you go. I got a job for you in the comments. Hey, Jake Soen. He says, what's up, fellas? Happy Friday. Matthew Linder says, cheers, boys. Thanks for touching on this topic. Hey, more than happy to. And if you have any more experts, subject matter experts that want to talk about this, I think this is a big area of interest for everybody, especially when you think about all the regulatory and intermediaries in the supply chain. So more than happy to cover that one. And uh, Kelly Mansfield said, interesting in seeing where this topic leads. Um, <clears throat> only job for you guys is, uh, you know, throw a like on this thing and, and share it out to your feeds. Tell your friend, you know, like we said, show's free. Thanks for joining us. Um, next headline, ocean container loss topples annual average in two months. Now, when I started my first podcast, The Shipping Pod, I did an episode on container loss. You know, my dad comes from right. the world of insurance, right. and I thought it would be much more. And it turns out that container loss isn't that huge of an issue, except for this year. 
right? So let's get into it. Kim Link-Wills, she reports that the World Shipping Council issued an eye-opening report last July um, what seemed like a steady stream of uh, vessel fires, capsizes, and container losses was, in fact, a small drop in the global ocean shipping bucket, right? You hear these things, they seem very magnified. Oh, super scary. But uh, a WSC study found that's just a tiny fraction, about 0.0006% for the cost of a douche coin, of the roughly uh, 226 million containers shipped on the world's oceans um, each year were lost, but, 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 WSC reported on average only uh, 1,382 containers were lost at sea per year between 2018 and 2019. So what's going on? Well, between November 30th and January 31st, more than 2,675 containers were lost in five incidents at sea. That's almost double the annual average in just this two-month period. Yeah, it's strange. And most of the accidents have occurred in the North Pacific, including the most recent, uh, the reported loss of 41 containers from the MSC Aries last Friday. All 41 containers lost overboard reportedly were empties, though, so uh, in, a, in a backfill move back to, to China. And an, MS, an MSC spokesman uh, did not confirm the number of containers lost, but did tell American shipper no cargo went overboard, according to the preliminary report uh, from the vessel. Uh, the ship met with heavy weather while en route from uh, Long Beach to uh, Ningbo, uh, and, uh, impacting a limited number of empty containers, is what they said. Yeah, and he, here's several incidents that happened. One of them, we had him in the What the Truck newsletter. You want the What the Truck newsletter? comes in your inbox every Tuesday, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Go to FreightWaves.com slash WTT. You can get it there. The Maersk Essen lost 750 containers January 16th while sailing from Jaiman, uh, China, to the port of Los Angeles. Maersk said the 13,000 uh, containers, the TEU, Essen experienced heavy seas during uh, her, her crossing in the North Pacific. In one of the worst cases of cargo loss on record, the one Apis, right? It lost 1,816 containers, about 1,600 nautical miles north northwest of Hawaii. That's the one I actually had in the What the Truck newsletter. Yeah. Taiwanese carrier Evergreen Marines, Ever Liberal, lost a reported 36 containers after carrying winds in the Pacific. Israeli carrier Zim lost 76 containers last month from the charter ship ER Taping. And uh, while no cargo was reportedly lost, rough seas were to blame for the death of a crew member from the bulk carrier uh, Gulia 1 off the coast of Nova Scotia, Canada last Saturday. So, you know, uh, safety at sea, a concern here, and cargo at sea, a concern here. Marine cargo insurance. Don't leave port without it. Yeah, don't. A lot of heavy seas action going on here. Yeah. Global warming, is that the, the what's going on? I mean, it could, it could be. It could be that it's 2021, right? Yeah, it's just 2021. Maybe it's just 2021 that's doing it. Here's a weird story, and here's a very sad story as well. Driver who was high on meth, he killed five cyclists, and now he has his day in court. Eight News reports that this guy, Jordan Barson, who's 45, he's being held without bail, and he's accused of being high on meth at the time of a crash on US-95 near Searchlight on December 10th. Yeah, his appearance. His appearance in Las Vegas Justice uh, Court was uh, brief, and the judge said his next court date for uh, to be in another month. And Barson, so he's facing five counts of DUI resulting in death, two counts of DUI resulting in substantially bo- uh, substantial bodily harm, and seven counts of reckless driving. And here's where it gets weirder, right? So in the initial article, the initial police reports, they said that it didn't seem like this guy was on drugs, but now in court they're saying that he seemed extremely Impaired by drugs, extremely high on meth. Well, Clay Weeks, who works at a bike shop in the U.S., just to give you guys some context, he told USA Today that, and this is a quote from him, the shoulder on the side of that highway is wide enough to fit three cars. We don't really know how somebody managed to get that far off the road. These are all very experienced cyclists as well. It's not like they accidentally rode off and into the road. So it does seem very deliberate, at least allegedly. This does not look like a good situation for for uh, this driver here, it seems pretty awful what he did. Yeah, it absolutely. It almost that's what I was. My immediate reaction when I read through those two stories was, you know, I've I've had people try to sideswipe me when I was jogging, running on the road, which yeah. is just ridiculous. But I've I've seen him do it. I've seen him coming at me trying to do it. Just on math, and he sees cyclists. And it, like yeah, I, and this, so this, that's what it looks like here. Because you're right. The initial report, the police even said, yeah, this does not appear to be in any way that he was impaired. Now they're saying he was. I, I don't know. I feel, yeah, I feel so bad for those like families too. You're, like you're just going out for a, this sort of bike ride. You think your 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 husband or your wife is coming home, and next thing you know, you hear that well, some these, lunatic. These, these ran guys five were on a 150 mile five mile ride, and they were celebrating the recent retirement of one of their members who retired from the police force. Brutal. Yeah. Brutal. 
Well, let's, you know, let's, let's get into some happier thoughts. Let's, let's talk to Kevin Schultz. He's co-founder and president at the 357 Company. He's dialing in out of uh, Chicago, Illinois. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us. And, hey, thank you for these sweet T-shirts, man. I'm a big fan of the, uh, the logo. Maybe you can see Michael's a little look bit better that. if they can throw the camera on that. Yeah, beautiful stuff. They look great, guys. Thanks for having us on. I really appreciate it. So, Kevin, how are things, man? What's, what's business like over in Chicago? Tell us a little bit about uh, yourself and the 357 Company. Yeah, it's it's really starting to pick up here as we enter 2021. Um, you know, we started the company back in early fall of 2019. Uh, at the time, I was in the medical cannabis industry. Um, we started out of Illinois with a couple of well-known multi-state uh, uh, vertical operators, uh, Pharmacan and Verano. And, um, you know, at the time, I, I really was diving deep into the yields of the plant and the distribution of the, the material throughout the facilities and ultimately out to the uh, retail stores uh, in the market. And really, uh, Illinois' program was a heavily uh, regulated program, and you really had to pay attention to detail. And getting the product um, through manifests and secure transportation out to the dispensaries was extremely important. So um, when when I was looking over the aisle at the hemp industry and, and keeping track of their success and their growth, um, I noticed a hole in the supply chain um, within that logistics component. I knew it was going to be extremely um, serious uh, and it was going to be extremely important to the growth of the uh, supply chain. And at the time, I thought that was an excellent opportunity to jump in and bring a much needed solution and one that the industry can really rely on. Yeah, I mean, it, it's clearly it, it would need that too. I let you know I used to live over in Massachusetts, where medical marijuana, recreational marijuana, is legal. Um, but the big issue was that all of the sourcing of marijuana had to be in state. It was mm -hmm. hard to collect money for Can't it. You know, they lines. wouldn't take credit cards because they're afraid the feds will seize it. The supply chain seemed like a challenge. It's not the kind of thing, Michael Vince. You just call like a typical broker up, and they can just run a load of hemp or marijuana yeah. for you. In fact, we saw those Iowa truckers that got in big trouble, right? Or Idaho. Iowa, yeah, Idaho. exactly. That's what I mean. Yeah. yeah, you had that truck of hemp. It was moving from one state legal state to another legal state, went through one that wasn't legal and got got impounded and, and, and that type of stuff. It, it's really uh, it's really interesting, Kevin, how you fell, how you didn't kind of fall into this. But that aha, what's the What was the aha moment that, hey, I need to go in this. I can really do this. Where was that moment that was there a specific time or was it just a, over the years watching things develop going hmm, and thinking about it and going, OK, wait a minute, there's a niche for me here. It was really, you know, watching it over the years, the farm bill, you know, then gave the federal, you know, permission to transport the product over state lines. And and really the aha moment was when, you know, I met my business partner who was very successful in logistics and he thought there was a better way to do logistics, you know, with more transparency, visibility, um, you know, really paying attention to the customer. And at the time when we met um, kind of serendipitously, his wife was my daughter's preschool teacher. And um, I said, well, look, I think there's an opportunity in hemp that if, if we build the right team around us with experts from the logistics industry and my background in medical cannabis, and we always have the best interest of the industry in mind and the longevity of the hemp supply chain in mind, we really could uh, knock this one out of the park. You know, the growth for this industry is tremendous. Mm -hmm. um, you're talking the medicinal side, the nutritional side, grains protein supplements, and then also, which we're most excited about now is the industrial side of, of, of the plants, mm, you know, yeah. where we're, we're placing textiles, fibers, um, you know, we have uh, uh, biofuels, bioplastics. Um, so really that was our aha moment together. Um, but there was one missing component, uh, or I should say two, you know, we wanted to make sure we had a reliable carrier network. Um, and with one of our silent partners, we do have those assets secured and the owner operator relationships that we dedicate a tremendous amount of resources on educating the drivers and uh, making sure they're on board with what we're doing and, and really abreast to the rules and regulations. Um, and, and the other part of that was securing hemp cargo insurance as well, which we did early on so we can, you yeah. know. But let's dive into well. Let's dive into all these things. I don't want to brush past them because yeah, these are big things. Sure. You said things I want to dive into right yeah, here. Yeah, first, absolutely. I want to know. I, well, there's three things I want to know, but we'll go one at a time. The first one is what? Because you mentioned you had a background in uh, the medical marijuana space. How did you? What came yeah. first, your logistics background or the medical marijuana background? And what made you decide to merge the two? Well, actually, logistics came first. I, it was my first job out of college was with American Backhaulers. Um, then I pivoted into medical devices for many years. Um, 
And then in 2016, I was in medical devices and seeing the opiate epidemic really take off uh, inside orthopedic, uh, in the orthopedic industry. And really my why was to, for two reasons, to get into medical cannabis, to help patients on the medicinal side, but also um, reduce that stigma, you know, versus alcohol that was out there, you know, in social, social um, settings. Um, so I broke into the medical cannabis industry first, and then now the transportation of, of hemp second. Yeah. So when you when you talk about all the, the uh, I guess, the, the the legal issues that you have to go through in the insurance uh, for moving for moving this and moving it across uh, state lines, et cetera. How does carrier sourcing work? How, how, I mean, how do you find those carriers that are qualified to be able to move this? Yeah. And do they want to touch it? Right. Yeah. Do, or do they want to touch it? I mean, how difficult is it? You know. It, it, it's it's difficult, and, and a lot of guys don't want to touch it because they've gone out and touched it before with a group that didn't know what they were doing, and they got burned. Um, you know, we're we're still cleaning up quite a bit of uh, mistakes that folks continue to make. Um, you know, one of our partners who who's also an angel investor in the company has um, you know 300 assets, uh, a whole network of vetted owner operators, and you know having access to that network has really gave us a, a leg forward. Um, but we're constantly, you know, meeting with the Department of Ags on, on a state level and also Highway Patrol. Uh, my head of operations, J.P. Mendoza, just does a fantastic job with keeping, you know, uh, up to date on the latest rules and regulations change that happen at the state level. That's where this really can get messy is the states can change their rules, you know, uh, in addition to what the federal um, laws are telling us as well. Yeah, we talked. I mean, we talked to Hope White about this. Hope White uh, at HG White Logistics. She's servicing the Southeast with uh, with starting to move hemp and through Georgia and yeah. trying to get into Florida. And she was telling us some of the challenges. But with challenges also comes a bit of a moat, right? So getting into this space and understanding the challenges and being that good broker partner um, could be kind of in- invaluable, especially at this point in time, couldn't it? I-, I I can imagine it's difficult to find good partners that can do this. It is. And it's so early on that, you know, my MO is we're constantly sharing, you know, our network with whether it's introductions along the supply chain, you know, working with, you know, groups like ASTM to help build out policy, folks in D.C. as well to to really take it that step further to include logistics in these conversations. Um, Anytime the USDA is making rule changes, it's centered around, you know, more in the field, you know, what the THC percent can be when a farmer's growing, you know, hemp. But they forget to mention and fail to mention, um, can you bring that over state lines? Because as soon as that THC percent spikes over 0.3, drug trafficking laws are, are now in play. And, and I don't know about you guys, but we typically don't wake up in the morning and those are in play. But with, with hemp, it is. And, and if that product spikes for whatever reason and you bring it over state lines, drug trafficking laws are now in play. So you got to be very careful. Yeah, and along those along those lines, though, uh, Kevin is uh, all right. So we're talking about truckload. Does this go into LTL moves, and and how do you prevent those those situations uh, where, where, let's say, the during an inspection, just a, a regular roadside inspection, uh, inspection, whatever, discovered that okay, there's there's hemp in the truck. How do you prove that sure. it is? I mean, I, I've smelled the hemp before, right? And and the less than 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 three uh, percent THC before. Smells just like pot. How, how do you yeah. how do you prevent that type of stuff? And the dogs know, don't know the difference. They don't either. know the um, difference. So, Absolutely not. What we do is we don't ship uh, hemp LTL. Uh, it's too risky. There's too much on and off the truck. Too many stops. We're running dedicated vehicles. Fill them up. Uh, you know, sprinter vans to full truckloads. And and JP's team uh, optimizes the route before the freight moves. Um, our drivers are armed with the proper paperwork, uh, QR codes. Um, references for the law enforcement when they do get pulled over. We actually had a state trooper uh, search a truck um, over the weekend in Wyoming and had the proper paperwork and he was let go. Um, so we're doing everything we can prior to ending up in court one day so we can just absolutely say we've dotted all our I's and crossed all our T's. But those those SOPs are constantly changing. You know, we're making sure that we are compliant. We're obsessed with compliance because when we do something wrong, if we did, the downstream impact for the entire supply chain is tremendous from the genetics to the grower to the processor. A lot of folks are doing splits on these deals. So people haven't been paid out yet. So we take that this extremely serious when we're handling folks freight. We have a question in the comments. It's Matthew Linder, and he says, "How do you get your foot in the door?" And you've you've kind of touched on it that it you know it takes a lot of um, 
a lot of regulatory know-how, right? And it's, it takes a lot of trust building. But if you're to tell someone who is just thinking of getting their, their foot in the door with this, what advice would you give them? Um, you know, do your homework. Um, you know, there, there's a, uh, it's a major commitment. This isn't, uh, you know, we see, we hear from folks on a weekly basis and, and we wish we could get ahead of these conversations before these mistakes have been had. But there's a lot of money at stake. There is people's investments are at stake. Their time is at you know on the line, and, and and if you make a mistake, the entire industry can get a black eye. And we don't want that right now. We're trying to scale the industry. So if you are a logistics company or a trucking company that's lo- looking to move hemp, do it the right way. You know, don't screw around because the entire industry is on the line right now. Mm. Jake McLeod has a question, too. He says, is this positioning for a much larger play here once marijuana goes federally legal? I would imagine it, it definitely would, sure. right? Because when you think of your business, you're probably thinking of it at scale at a national level. Yeah, absolutely. We're keeping a close eye on, on any federal changes um, on the marijuana side, obviously, with my background in the industry, lots of connections there. Um, but for right now, we're staying out of every, any gray area. We are just absolutely shipping compliant hemp. Um, compliant byproducts of the of the hemp plant as well, and and also a lot of industrial products too, like uh, pet bedding, herd. Um, you know, it's it's really the the what's what's been really cool is folks that we've met through hemp have other businesses, and what that's allowed us to do is grow our general logistics side of the business as well. And folks really enjoy working with us; they enjoy the way we have the visibility through a software um, to allow them to do instant quoting. And, and really, we've been able to grab a significant book of business just through meeting partners within the hemp supply chain, too, as well. So, Kevin, you've got to have your uh, finger on the pulse of what's going on with regulations and the laws between the different states and at the federal level as well. Do you have an update? What, what, what's going on? Where are we at in the federal level as far as the regulation of, of marijuana and hemp? For marijuana? You know, my guess is one day it's just going to happen. Um, you know, I, I think it's well overdue. Um, you know, we have a state like Illinois right now where sales are through the roof and at times supply is an issue. And when you see other states that have an overabundance of supply, we should be able to share in that. You know, I think any proper supply chain allows for overstate line dealings and um, especially on the hemp side. You know, when these folks are isolated to their own state to only do business with, it, it really does a disfavor, especially when there's in-processed oil um, as far as product that's going to be moved into a final product where it does go back below that point three. We got to open up state lines. We have to get proper track and trace in place to allow for that to happen really soon. How many links are there on this supply chain? How many, how many different intermediaries? I mean, you'd have to have like hemp farmers, right? Cultivators. Obviously you have wholesale marketplaces that then sell to all of the, uh, the retail distributors. What, what does that kind of look like and how do you bridge all of those, those partners together? Yeah, and it, what's really cool is we touch all those components. Um, so it starts with the genetics. It starts with, with what are you going to plant, then the farmer, obviously. And then once harvest season happens, there's a need for a drying uh, component. Um, and then there's some storage uh, facilities in the mix as well. There are brokers involved that will broker deals. Um, and then what happens typically is they will move to a processor, which will then convert that raw material into an oil. The spent biomass can have some uses as well on the industrial side. And then once it's in the oil form, you can then go to a co-packer where you can make tinctures and edibles and those types of products. And and then ultimately to the retail uh, store that's going to sell those products to the end consumer. So we've touched all components of that supply chain so far. And it's been really fun to watch the growth within each component and kind of the evolution of each component, I should say. So, uh, Kevin, where, where's the limit on this? How, how far does this grow? And, and do you see a point in the, in the, in the future, maybe way out there, where uh, the specialty of hemp logistics and marijuana kind of goes away because it just becomes a normal product? Is that a danger in the future? And, and, and how big does it need to get to hit that? Uh, I'd say not yet. You know, we're, we're talking some big numbers. You know, yeah. 2019 just on, you know, globally for hemp was around 4.6 billion. You know, they're predicting by 2025 to that be around 27 billion. Yeah. So, you know, Nielsen's also saying that the U.S. hemp derived CBD market could reach, you know, 6 billion by 2025. So um, there's a lot of work to do from now till then. We're just now building out our lanes internationally. 
making sure things are going to get through customs and the paperwork's perfect. Um, so we got a ways to go, uh, but we definitely want to leave a legacy and, and someday be done as, you know, and, and moved on. So, you know, but I'd say we need pros in each component of the supply chain for quite a bit longer. Um, mm-hmm. But the sky's the limit. We're, we're shopping down a big aisle with, with hemp and, and, and cannabis. Well, yeah. I mean, when you look at Alabama and you see like 76% of voters, this is Alabama we're talking yeah. about, overwhelmingly vote to legalize, decriminalize marijuana. That, I mean, that's got to tell you something about the acceptance of it in the United States oh, at yeah. this, this point in time. But this is an important thing, too, because th- it was about a year or two ago that people in across the country were buying black market and gray market vapes, right? And getting very, very sick off of them. Because of the way they're produced. So having a regulatory behind it is also to protect the consumer. You mentioned with the oils, there's a lot of consumables that are made, not just smoked, but people are ingesting these things, right? Yeah. With the tinctures and putting them in their body. Um, Super important. How do you how do you feel about that? I'm sure you're you're sort of a strong proponent of of making this national. Sure. And it has to be safe, you know. So I'm a huge proponent of of increasing our capability as far as labs go in the country. You know, I, I, I believe a patient should be able to walk in or, or a consumer and know exactly what this is testing at, uh, what the THC level is, what the cannabinoid uh, levels are, what the terpenes are, because ultimately all those make up your experience. And I, there's there's a there's a tremendous upside to these products, especially medicinally. And, um, you know, to offset some of the, the dependency on some of the narcotics in the pharmaceutical industry, you know, we're going to have to really make sure we're on par and up to snuff when it comes to testing and making sure there's full transparency to the consumer on what's in that product. And, you know, that vape, I was in the industry when the vape uh, crisis was happening, and, and that was extremely scary. Um, you know, that's why those companies that came out of Illinois are just so solid, you know, as far as putting quality products out and really, uh, you know, products we could stand behind, you know, as manufacturers. Jake Sohn in the comments, uh, we kind of talked about this one a little, yeah. right? He says, what about the accounting side? Are there any challenges being illegal in federal banks? And since we answered on the, the store selling them, because the, yes, there is. Is there any on your end as someone who works as an intermediary? Do you have to be cautious that the, the feds may come knocking on your door? As far as banking goes? Yeah, or, or just in general. Uh, you know, on the, on the, on the cannabis side, it's still a little iffy. There are folks that have access to banking, thankfully, because there's just a lot of cash moving around and that that's going to end up in the wrong person's hand. You know, that's going to be an increase in potential for crime. Um, with us, you know, on the hemp side, you know, there is banking for, for hemp, hemp, uh, uh, businesses. Um, but we don't touch the plant. You know, we're just strictly logistics. We don't, we have a marketplace that we sell ancillary products, but we don't sell anything uh, as far as the biomass goes. Um, so we feel pretty, pretty protected. That's good. That's good. So when we talk about drivers, independents, owner operators, et cetera, <clears throat> and they're going to accept a, a load or if they're, 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 they're asked or, or asked to bid on, on moving, uh, moving hemp. What do they need to look for in these type of things? I, I suppose there's some people out there that are trying to pull off some nefarious activities uh, <laughs> with people that might be ignorant, or maybe they're not. Um, but, but what do they need to look for as far as a driver? Now, we talked about logistics companies getting into actually doing this stuff, yeah. but a driver accepting a load. Are there dangers there? What should they be looking for? Yeah, absolutely. I think first and foremost, you want to look at the COA, which is the lab report. You want to look at that THC um, number and you want to use the total THC formula. There's still some folks in the industry that just look at Delta 9, which is a cannabinoid um, on the lab. But there is a formula that properly um, calculates total THC, and and that number has to be below 0.3. There are some states that are increasing that limit to 0.35, 0.34, just simply because the labs have a margin of error. But again, you going over state lines, uh, part two to your question uh, would be the driver should really look at the the route that he's going to take. You know, we do that for our drivers. um, But if somebody's just working with a random group that's going to go in there and pick up a load, you know, they're going to want to reach out to those states, make sure they can come through with that that load and, and ultimately be compliant every step of the way. You know, there's that story back in 2019, I believe it was, where, you know, a driver was pulled over in Vermont let go because they have one state of rules and then gets into New York and, you know, the driver actually calls the police on on the shipment and that, you know, they actually get uh, arrested for that. So, you know, the rules can just change so fast and you just want to be really careful and just work with a group like us that is setting you up for success because there's a, there's a lot of business to be moved here, but you got to do it the right way. 
Yeah, and, and when setting up the business, because um, there's a couple of comments in the comments section, are we talking about marijuana, are we talking about hemp? Well, I mentioned most logistics companies that are building out basing it on hemp and C- CBD. The ultimate yeah. end game is obviously to also move medical and recreational yeah. marijuana. I mean, it kind of comes with the territory, right? Yeah, we're, we're strictly hemp. Everything that we ship is below 0.3%. Wow. But will you go into those? Will you go as regulations allow? Or is that part of the playbook? Yeah, I mean, it is is federal regulations open up, you know, we, we have our eye on the, those, those markets and, and the growth is tremendous. So we definitely are keeping a close eye on that. And we're contributing to a lot of those conversations right now. We want to get ahead of these policies and, and advocate for sensible policy for the, for the industry. Um, that's why we're working so close with the, the ASTMs of the world and, and just really trying to help build these policies. It's still so early on, but uh, yeah, as long as the federal laws open up um, in the States, are on the same page with them, we we will probably consider jumping in. Absolutely. Hey, this is the type of topic that if someone has sort of more questions, they really want to get their their hands dirty in this kind of thing, we would want to send them to you. So where where should they go to learn more? Yeah, just go on our website, www.357company.com. You know, reach out anytime. Um, you know, we're, we, we love getting ahead of these conversations. Even if you don't even have your operations set up yet, we talked to a gentleman this week that's going to open processing plants. Let's talk. Let us give you some insight of what we're seeing. We might even be able to make some introductions for you to help you get off the ground quicker. But we want to get ahead of these conversations. We truly want to partner with you and really take logistics off your to-do list and, and allow yourself to scale and, and focus on your core, you know, talents. Thank you once again, Kevin. We appreciate your time today. Hey, guys, thanks for having me on and uh, look forward to the next one. Absolutely. Have a great weekend. All right. Again, we'd like to thank our friends at Legend Transportation for sponsoring today's episode. Legend partners with strategic customers while providing seamless solutions for its drivers and is West Regional's premier freight transportation company. Learn more at newlegendinc.com. Now, I'll tell you, all that hemp talk gave me a case of the munchies. So I'm glad that, <laughs> I was going to uh, say, I'm, I'm, I'm ready for something <laughs> yeah, to eat, hungry, bro. man. It's lunchtime. <laughs> all right, Mark. Well, here's some good news for you. We're doing our first ever Cook It Forward, and it's with Mark De La Vincenza. He's the sales director Della at... Vicenza, Tim. Vicenza. <laughs> at Della Vicenza. Oh, look, at he's all dressed up. He's got an apron on. He's out of beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia. How you doing over there? Hey. <laughs> Thanks so much for this opportunity, Tim. And I think you guys do a great job spreading the grid word about freight logistics and trucking. It's uh, truly an honor. So thank you for this, uh, this opportunity. I really appreciate it. Going to make some Caesar salad for you. Beautiful. Bring it on. Let's see what, right. what do we have going on here. Is this a family recipe? Okay. Well, we, just the recipe basically is some garlic, anchovies, some Dijon mustard, uh, oil, red wine, vinegar, a little Lee and Perrin's Worcestershire sauce, and an egg yolk. So the, the process is you, you should use a wood bowl. And the best thing to do with, a, with a, a Caesar salad is to use the same bowl over time and just gently sanitize it because the flavors actually go into the bowl. And as you make it more, it enhances the flavor of your Caesar salad. Yeah. So you we'll just season start off with some garlic. Did you know that? Yeah, did you have, exactly. a dedicated, do you have a dedicated Caesar salad? I bowl? don't have one, but I did know that. Okay. Because I, I have dedicated um, uh, uh, iron pa- uh, iron skillets. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, you got yeah, to that, you gotta same, season that. Yeah, thing, I knew right? the same yeah. thing there. I'm interested in what kind of wood that is. It looks like he's got a giant, like, yeah. a walnut Let's cut in half. Let's get the camera back on him. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, you know, it actually came from uh, the very far west coast uh, to Fino, British Columbia. My wife and I bought it there. Wow. And uh, we we searched high and low for this baby, and uh, we're really proud of it. So <laughs> I had to showcase it on your show. So thank you. A little salt and pepper with the uh, uh, garlic and anchovies. Um, some oh, seasoning salt. Nico Brad would like to know. He's I think he's going to jump on Amazon and try and get one of these things. He would like to know what kind of bowl that is. It's just a wood bowl. It's made from uh, the the. Um, we bought it from a, a First Nations fellow, basically on the beach, and yeah, it was uh, it was expensive, but I think it was really worth it. So you might not really find proud it of it, and it and it celebrates celebrates the uh, the First Nations who we should always honor. Yeah, absolutely, I love that. I love a bowl with a story. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. yeah, oh yeah, no, it's it was a great vacation too. By the way. And, 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 and segueing to freshness, 
This uh, Caesar salad is brought to you by Portage Transport. Beautiful. We're an asset-based <laughs> carrier located in Portage of Prairie, Manitoba. Mm-hmm. We have 115 trucks and 150 trailers. We're also Iron Apple FSME Sanitary Transport Compliant, and we service domestic Canada as well as do cross-border extensively. Canada, U.S., U.S. to Canada. So shameless plug. There you go. It's not all about Caesar salad, but if you want to keep that fresh, just call us. <laughs> I, lo- I love it. Is this the first time you've ever pitched your company while, uh, while wearing an apron and making a Caesar salad in a, in a First Nations wooden bowl? Yes, yes, it is. <laughs> it's the first, Tim. And He's it's an honor to do it for you, sir. Beautiful. So, so now, um, you, is that the Worcestershire you're going with now? Yeah. Yeah, parent. this is the Worcester. And then I'm just going to add oil and vinegar. And then we're going to mix that up in a nice slurry there. Make sure that uh, all the flavors are coming together. I don't know if you can see through the magic of television oh, yeah. the the uh, process here. So there's oh, a nice slurry. Up, yeah. What we did was... We did a half a cup of oil to a quarter cup of red wine vinegar. Gives you a little bit of that punch, that that sort of acidity and punch through the red wine vinegar as well. And then an egg yolk. We don't use the whites. We want it nice and thick and sloppy. Delicious. <laughs> That's what I like. It's like a teaser salad dressing to me. Not uh, not not like um, heavy heavy, but a nice coating, but um, a little like a thin mayonnaise, if you would. Yeah, so does that act that, that acts like a, an emulsifier, right? It's what it's what binds all the it helps it bind all the ingredients in the salad dressing. Absolutely, yeah. So, 100%. so would so would you say, Mark, that 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 kind of describes your your philosophy on uh, sales leadership as well? Just a light Absolutely. emulsifier. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that sounds great. Great segue. Yes, and and you know, it's just also uh, understanding what your customers' needs are and trying to provide. Uh, solutions to fulfill those needs. And that's what the spirit of Portage Transport is all about, From right from our operators to the operation staff, the dispatch. We're all one big family and a big team, and it works well. You know, it started in 1998 um, with Bernie Drager, and he was the one that he bought his first truck, and it's grown now to 115 trucks, and it just keeps on growing. And I think it just speaks to, to the quality of the people and the service that we can provide that in turn creates that growth. So I'm really proud to be part of the organization. Nice. You know, Dooner, when I was uh, in sales, I, 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 my philosophy was to, you know, just to lightly sanitize them after every touch when, point with my customers hmm. so that I could build up that seasoning yes. with them, you know, to build that yeah. relationship over, yeah. over, over time. Let's bring a little Parmesan on them, right? A little Parmesan. Now, and, Parmesan uh, Reggiano, <laughs> baby. Now, as a yeah. sales director, as a sales director, now he kind of said you are the emulsifier, just the binding ingredient in there. So then who's the croutons? <laughs> pricing. Pricing's the, the croutons. croutons? <laughs> Who has that crunch? The pricing department is the croutons. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, I think so. And it's always kind of that delicate dance that you have to do That's back right. and forth. And I, and I provide that sort of buffer in between there and i communicate in between as well so now tell me with that uh, that lettuce did you go straight for romaine yes i'm sorry yes that was romaine lettuce thanks tim (laughs) sure yeah yeah no that's yeah exactly what it is now normally we do a little bit of croutons my wife will will roast toast some croutons throw a little seasoning on it she cut this is called uh the dressing's called caesar saladala and the croutons are called croutana Vicenza, just so Ooh, you know. It's the family it. recipe. I, love you. <laughs> I like how seriously that you take this, too. To you, it's an art, and you are very deliberate in all your actions here. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, you know what? I started in when I was – originally, my my um, my choice of um, vocation was was to be in, in restaurants. And I worked in restaurants from when I was 14 years old till I was 42, part-time and full-time. Wow, uh, but in that time doing transportation and 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 actually while I was driving for uh, UPS, which I started my transportation industry, this was back in 1988. Uh, I used to work restaurants on weekends, and this is part of what I did: tableside service, Chateaubriand, Caesar salad, those kinds of things as well. So that's kind of I've always enjoyed that part of my life, but you know I really enjoy transportation as well. So this is and it pays the bills so <laughs> beautiful we've got about 90 seconds left for the segment so um what else what, what's the final finishing touches on this salad to make it to make it all work 
Uh, well, you know what the nice thing about it is? This is basically all completed. Uh, all we need to do is just put it in a nice chilled plate, which is usually where the nice thing the way it's be served. And then uh, just place it on the plate. And then what I like to do is with a little mandolin and some nice, you could use some Parmesan Reggiano. Um, I, um, I think this is Asiago as well. You can use another cheese and just grate it on top. And there you have it. Caesar salad. You, you got to grate it. That, that is beautiful. I'm giving you a little cowbell for it. We highly appreciate it. And I'll tell you why you got to use the grater. So people out there, the reason you use, I watch a lot of America's Test Kitchen. Okay. And one of the reasons you use the grater is because when you get the packaged ones, they mm -hmm. put like starch in it so it doesn't bind together. Uh-huh. You yeah, don't want that. Yeah, you don't want that. Especially in Parmesan where you're already getting kind of like what thin about granules. The, what about the twirlies? That was, that's fine. Is it okay? That's fine. Right. I'm just talking about like the pre-packaged, yeah, already you shredded. Great this way. Yeah, I don't want that specific. stuff. Okay. I don't want that. Hey, how do people you go reach out? pros. <laughs> I, I cook a little at home. Uh, how, do, um, how do people reach out? How do they get in touch with you? And how do they get in touch with Portage? And how do they order a Caesar? PortageTransport.com is where you can go. Or you can just reach out for me on LinkedIn, Facebook. And I'm certainly welcome to speak to you on any opportunities you might have in the U.S. or Canada. Uh, bear in mind, because we're a Canadian carrier, we honor that. We, we do cross-border. So Canada, U.S., U.S. to Canada in terms of the United States. So, you know, um, but yeah, absolutely. If you're doing business in Canada, give us a call. We'll be happy to assist you. Thank you so Excellent. much. Thanks for joining us. Take care and have a great weekend. You know, so next week. Thanks, Tim. Thank you. Take it easy. So I told you a little bit about um, the comebacks post, right? You put on there. Yeah. I wrote, One of the things I love about logistics is that since for a lot of us, it was a second or third path in life. It leads to some remarkable yeah. comeback stories. People who entered an industry they knew nothing about and rose to the top of it. Today, we're talking to one of those gentlemen. It is Tyson Lawrence. He is the president and CEO at Tactic Logistics Group. Tyson, man, thanks for joining us today. Dooner and the dude. Appreciate it, man. <laughs> what is going on, man? <laughs> uh, not much. You know, as an old uh, grunge kid from the Pacific Northwest, it's kind of cool to be on a rock show talking about your profession and, you know, that type of stuff. And then you get a nice lead in like the gentleman before us. And before that, it's kind of all ties together. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, all interesting, like sort of path lives, but, but obviously great guests so far. What, what's that jersey behind you, though, that I'm looking at on the wall? Tim, Tim Lincecum. Oh, uh, Pacific Northwest kid came down to the Bay Area and did his thing. What's Much like, like myself. So, yeah, nice, yeah, nice, so, nice, nice. Great segue, Tyson. Or you, you must be in radio or podcasting with a segue like that. So tell us a little <laughs> bit. Tell us a little bit about this journey. You posted about it on on my LinkedIn feed, and that's one of the reasons I, I reached out to you. And it was it was really a, it's a really interesting tale. So so get into it for us. Yeah, you know, it kind of hit home when I saw that, and you know, I started thinking about it, and we're just kind of on the back end of coming out of it. But, uh, you know, I started in logistics out of college, graduated, and I uh, was kind of looking for a job. And uh, a company called C.H. Robinson hired me and told me they'd move me to California if I'd work for them. And I said, sure, why not? And I uh, kind of walked in there and learned the business, a lot of different areas to it, and got excited. You know, I caught the bug and um, just for a few years after I left C.H. Robinson doing some different things within the industry before I started out on my own. And uh, once that happened, you know, I just, you know, got caught into building up a business and we had a lot of success doing it and uh, didn't really start looking at what could happen to bring us down. You, you and, did uh, mention, well, you did mention in this story, right? You just 10 years, right? Yeah. So you get into C.H. Robinson. Yeah. He goes yeah. to C.H. Robinson out of college. You don't really know what it is. Just like yeah. a lot of us. We're like, what the hell is a logistics broker? Yeah, that means nothing. Give it a uh, shot. They're, yeah, well. they're, they're like, whatever. I need money. I need yeah. health insurance. Yeah. Right. Um, so you start this company, right? You're like, I'm going to strike out on my own. Why strike out on your own? And then what happened after that 10 years that sort of had this, that, that, that made the company sort of fall apart? Well, you know, I, I was thinking about, you know, I was getting a little bit older and I kind of felt like I was leveling off and um, I wanted to go out on my own, but I didn't, really, I didn't know how to. So, you know, I approached my, um, I thought, well, maybe this is a good time to go to law school because I, you know, thought about doing that, but I needed to have a job during the day and do that type of stuff. So I convinced my mentor to let me kind of leave a little bit of my business and just book a few loads by day and go to school at night. And um, after about a year of doing that, um, I realized that, you know, I think my love is in logistics. It's just, you know, building something is what I wanted to do. And so I quit law school and started really putting my efforts towards building out the business. And, 
you know, like I said, we grew it for about 10 years. We kind of leveled out about five years. I started looking at different ways to differ differentiate and kind of diversify within the industry. And I had one large client that was taking up all my time. They're a large retail grocery chain. And I didn't see that as I was diversifying in them, I was becoming more reliant on them. And I kind of wanted to step back and start finding some other customers. And, you know, one thing led to another and we got into a disagreement with our largest client and it just ultimately brought down the company. And I thought as it was coming down, I'm like, man, if I got another bite at this, I could really do things differently. I've learned a lot of lessons here over these 10 years. And so I convinced my top three guys at the time. I had about 15 guys and I, I took my top three and I said, listen, I convinced them and then my wife after that to mm. take a little bit of last money and say, hey, let's do this again. Let's do it this way. Let's do it that way. And really focus on, you know, not being reliant on one big customer. And so we did. We started over zero and started working with small to medium sized companies, being a coach, consultant, helping them kind of understand the logistics industry. You know, people come up with new drinks and stuff like that, but they don't necessarily understand how to get it from point A to point B and work within that industry and so, or inside that uh, that space. So we kind of helped them through that, and that's where our success has really grown. We've become really diversified amongst a different bunch of different uh, clients, customers, and in that space, I met Global Trans. I met the Little Brothers over at Global Trans, and I was very interested in technology and what we were, we were trying to develop our own thing inside the previous company as well. And so I saw a good fit there. And so we went in all in with global trans and became an agent for them. And, you know, Bob Farrell and those guys came in a few years later and really um, took us to the next level. That's a, that's a really great story. And I'm looking there and I see the, the helmet back there, the Cougars helmet, uh, Washington state guy. Uh, you look like a, you look like a hockey guy. I assume you played <laughs> hockey there. Uh, yeah. but, and, and, you know, when I started out in logistics and going, they were, they were, they looked for athletes. That, that's what, that's what, that's what Roadway hired. They, they hired athletes. And I, and I really felt it's helped me throughout my career. And it just listening to your story, it sounds like you drew a lot of, uh, of, of tenacity and a lot of, you know, rethinking from your, from your, uh, collegiate days there in athletic and athletics. Would you say that's correct? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, the foundation was laid in those early morning rink sessions and the two a days playing football, you know, getting hit and getting back up and, you know, just being able to pivot, adjust, change, you know, accept uh, coaching, you know, and be humble. You know, one of the things about failure is you got to be very humble if you want to come back. You got to look at what you did wrong and be able to adapt to it. And uh, yeah, without a doubt, you know, I, every day. I see myself more as a general manager, to be honest with you, in my, my group. I try to find good players and put them in play, teach them up, and let them do their thing. And that was why we were so successful is because those guys that came with me, Kelvin Johnson, Bill Dodd, they're still with me to this day. We did it as a team. You know, It wasn't just me. It was all of us coming together and kind of trying to reach those goals and, and get better each year. No, that resiliency and that belief is, is huge. You know, it's like, who, who was it that we had on? Uh, was it Pierre who said the greatest gift that, that mankind has is another 24 hours? Right. And that's also a lesson you right. learn in sports. You lose a game. There's another game. The season ends. Look, if you work hard, you get back in the gym. You got the ability. There's another season. You get another shot at it until you say no or you graduate. But <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. so where are you at now with Tactic, uh, with Tactic Logistics Group? How are things over there? What's the company like? Where is it at now? You know, we're doing great. And a lot of it, a lot of what we went through over the past five years set us up to be able to deal with the pandemic, you know, and the uncertainty, you know, living month to month, you know, that was what we were going through. So this is, you know, this last year's really been no different. And therefore we've been able to thrive in it. Uh, we've seen some growth. We've had some customers, you know, step or not be able to operate at the level they had in the past, but the ones that, that could, that were essential, you know, they doubled up. So having the diversity, diversity and all that kind of stuff, that's really helped. So we're growing. We're doing big things. We're always looking for, uh, you know, good people to, uh, you know, put into our culture and, and, and thrive. And, you know, just whether it's with us or with somebody else down the line, you know, I had somebody look out for me early on. So I don't get mad when people leave. It's just, uh, you know, hopefully they, 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 uh, they do what we taught them as they move forward. Excellent stuff. So as you, as you move forward, um, I mean, you learned from your, your business failure before, right? Yeah. So as you right. move forward, what's, what's the, is, is there, there an <laughs> exit strategy moving forward? What's the, what's the proper exit strategy for somebody in a business like yours? 
Well, you know, there's a couple different ways. I mean, we work with a great group at, at Global Trans, you know, and so, you know, they've done some mergers and acquisitions, you know, as far as um, bringing people in. So we've seen that happen with other companies. Um, but, you know, you kind of get into a spot where you're so caught up in wanting to get better each year, you don't really look for the exit. You know, you kind of want to see what you can do in five years, 10 years, 15 years. So maybe ask me that question in a few more years. But, you know, for right now, we're looking at uh, just trying to get better. Love it. No, and i completely honest too, right? Because here's the thing, you know, sometimes people look at the CEO and the president, they think that they have every answer, but yeah. you know, it's just another dude working really hard that ha- also yeah, has the weight true. of the company and the weight of all of employees on his shoulders. Yeah, you know, th- you might not have time to even be thinking about an exit strategy at this moment. Although M&A has been pretty hot, so you never know yeah. who's going to come knocking that's right. Right. on the door. Yeah, I mean, that's, I never take anything off the table, but you know, it's just kind of one of those things you can't think about it. You just got to, if you start thinking about it, then you know, you're taking your eye off the ball and, you know, we're not doing what we need to do day in and day out to be good at what we do. Yeah, it's a completely different it's a completely different mindset when you're looking at the, right. the fire escape. You know, do it during a movie and you'll stop paying attention. Do it at a company, you'll stop paying attention to your detriment. And then it'll be even harder to exit at yeah. that point. Absolutely. Um, so people want to connect with you. They want to learn more. Where do we send them to? Yeah, LinkedIn's the best place to find me, you know, and um, I try to get back to all the messages as quick as possible. I enjoy connecting with others and, you know, people that are trying to, you know, embark on their comeback you know it's hard those first few years are really hard so you know i'm pathetic to it especially in these times there's a lot of business owners out there that are uh, being faced with adversity for the first time in fact i didn't consider myself an entrepreneur until i actually went through an adversity and came out the other side so reach out to me on linkedin and uh i'd love to talk to you thanks a lot tyson we appreciate it have a great weekend Thanks, Tyson. You know, he said there, it's, it's sort of like when you, when, you, when you follow founders, right? You read yeah. a lot of, of founders and you, you hear about their, their failures. And it's a lot like sales. You know, a lot of founders, their first couple of companies, they don't really work out. But the differentiator between them and everybody else is their willingness, that self-belief to go back at it. Oh, and, absolutely. And to not fall into that, negati- yeah. that negative trap and to make your comeback. Yeah, you have, you have to understand that the, the most successful guy, well, what do they say? It takes like 17 years to become an overnight success. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, that, that's the type of thing, that tenacity, that drive forward, the resiliency the, to, to keep moving. I mean, it's, the game's not over until it's over. Absolutely. Right? You know, and, and, and so you keep getting up. You, you, you shift. You pivot, as, as Tyson said. Uh, you learn from your mistakes, and you move forward. Try to beat yourself. Try to beat yourself a little that's bit better right. every day because that's, that's really right. all you can compare yourself to. Let's get into a little good news, bad news before we send you off into the weekend. Here's one for Let's you. Here's some good news. YRC Worldwide has changed their name back to yellow. It's good news if you like the color <laughs> yellow, I suppose. Here's the bad news, though. I don't know if it's going to fool anybody. They missed fourth quarter <laughs> earnings and still are having to answer to regulators about that bailout money they received. You know, they're called critical to national defense. They got, what was it, like $700 million or something? Yeah, yeah, totally. They, uh, but what have they done with it? Now they're like, well, is, is how price aggressive are you then? They're really kind of looking into this. Well, the Overland Park, Kansas-based company, reported a net loss of $0.30 cents per share, worse than the consensus call for $0.20 cent per, per share loss, but $0.09 cents better than last year. So they got that going yeah, for them. Yeah, they did better than last year. YRC ended with liquidity of $440 million, but their total debt is $1.28 billion. Would yes. you loan money to someone with a, with a debt of $1.28 not, billion? Not with that track record. I, 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 really, I, really, I really wouldn't. And, and I mean, but it's a great, I mean, they're going to turn it around now. They changed their name. They did, yeah. So, it's all yellow now. Yeah, it's yellow now. So they're, they're good. They're good. They're back. To, here's some bad news, bro. <laughs> okay. Here's some really bad news. Okay. <laughs> okay. According to according to the Shreveport Police Department in Shreveport, Louisiana, a pair of semis got into a fiery crash. Wow. Which is bad. Yeah. It gets it gets worse. Oh. A person attempted to get a driver out from the burning one of the burning semi trucks by tapping the glass on the window uh, of the truck by using his gun. Yes. Okay. I mean, butt of the gun or whatever. That's reasonable. Well, apparently, uh, he wasn't using the butt of the gun oh. <laughs> because he accidentally shot the guy in the leg. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> yeah. Wait, was, he, was he like going like that at the window? Uh, hey, maybe move over. I'm going to shoot a hole through. I, I, Why I isn't his safety on? Sh- <laughs> bad gun ownership thing. That's a bad gun owner right there too. Shot the guy. Shot the guy in the leg. Um, uh, but the good news is the driver uh, was taken to uh, Shreveport Hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. 
uh, to have some lead pulled out of his leg. <laughs> hell of a day, right? Like, what, yeah, how was your what day, the honey? Hell? I got into a fiery car wreck, and this guy came to save me, and he shot me in the leg. He capped my What's leg. What's a guy driving an ambulance going to do? <laughs> he comes up and shoots you in the leg. <laughs> it's like that scene in Pulp Fiction when the kid's in the back, and they hit yeah. the bomb and just blows it. Do you his, have to take the, the bullet out with an axe? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, what are they doing? Cut you in half with the jaws of light. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Here's something. Here's some. Here's a. Here's kind of a heartwarming story for you. Here's some. Here's the bad news. You ever lose something and think you may never see it again? Right? We all do. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. You ever lose something on vacation and you really think you'll never see it again? Oh yeah. Well, or on a work trip or something. Well, sure. that's what happened to this man. The San Diego Tribune reports that in October 1967, Navy meteorologist Paul Grishmi was shipped out to Antarctica, where mm. he worked as a weather forecaster for a science station and airport on Ross Island. 13 months later, he returns home to his family in Southern California, but his wallet, he left it behind. Here's the good news. On Saturday, the now 91-year-old Grisham was reunited with his long-lost billfold, which was found behind a locker during the demolition of a building at McMurdo Station, which is the southernmost town on Earth. The brown leather wallet, right? Surprisingly enough, too. This is in Antarctica, but it arrived in good condition following this week-long journey. So someone came across and were like, I want to track down the, the etymology or the history of this wallet, right? Yeah, okay. So they're emailing, Facebook messaging. They're sending out letters. A group of amateur sleuths is on the case, right? Well, after 53 years, Grisham said uh, he couldn't even remember that he lost his wallet. He forgot he even had the, the damn thing. Uh, he calls the continent the ice, by the way. But he's grateful he got it back, even though he doesn't remember that it was his. He, but he also says, I was blown away, right? There was a long series of people involved who tracked me down and, uh, and ran me to the ground. Interesting <laughs> phrase. tackled him. Uh, hey, take this. <laughs> take it. You know, it's your wallet, man. <laughs> Don't litter next time. Yeah. Well, inside the recovered wallet, here's, he had a few things. There's Navy ID, his driver's license, a tax withholding statement, a recipe for, a recipe for homemade Kahlua. We got to get that. Yeah. I mean, if there, there's a marketing story right there. We, we this get guy the doesn't make his own Kahlua and make millions. I don't know what. He's also got something called ice rats in there. It said you have to work at the station to understand what that is. Uh, there was a beer ration punch card, receipts for money orders sent to his wife for his uh, poker winnings at the station. Yeah, he's cleaning up go. over there. He was. He, he was cashing it in and sending the money. Yeah, to he's his getting wife. drunk on the Kahlua and then just like cleaning up in <laughs> poker. I like this guy. No, what a yeah. what a cat. He probably would win the the, Matt, the Millennium Falcon. Yeah, he wasn't of just making like some sour mash. He's making Kahlua. Lua. He's like, here you go, guys. <laughs> here We're you at go, the station boy. here. You he probably doesn't even drink. He probably gave him his punch card, right? Like, he probably, like, here, go, here's my brash and punch card. Get, get a little sauced up. We'll play some poker. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, also he found in there was a um, information instructions on what to do. This is 1967. What to do in the event of atomic, biological, or chemical weapons attack. Oh, duck and cover? Duck and cover. Get under the <laughs> desk. Kiss, kiss, your, kiss your butt goodbye. <laughs> yeah, get under your, frozen your, your school desk. I don't know. Crazy story, though. Have you ever had been like reunited with something that you thought was long lost? No, I don't think so. No? Mm-mm. Can't you make something up? No, I don't I mean, we're I on TV can. here. Oh, we are yeah. on TV. Can't you be uh, like, oh, yeah, I had this amazing Gibson guitar. And, you know, <laughs> I was at a Kiss concert in 1974. Yeah. And what happened is I left it outside the VW, you know, yeah. flower wagon. Yeah. You know, I was dealing with 357 logistics. Well, I mean, there was a few times in college where I was magically reunited with my car because I didn't remember where I left it that night. <laughs> but <laughs> what is this guy talking about? Joseph H. says, please pass this on. It may just prevent someone else from being swindled. This is a must read. Please let family and friends know now. But there's nothing else to read. I guess just, just be. Oh, wait. So he says, oh, you went wh- to explain that uh, a gift contained alcohol. There was a, 300, there was a $3.50 Delivery verification charge providing proof that uh, he delivered the package to an adult. Uh, sounded logical and I offered to pay him cash. What? I don't know what's going on here. I can't solve this issue for you. I'm sorry, uh, Joseph H., but it sounds like you got swindled out of $3.50. So that's, that's I mean, feel bad for you, but you'll probably make it. Just go get, probably make, make, it. Get some, make some homemade Kahlua and yeah. play some poker. This is the weekend. You'll feel better. You forget yeah. about it. Hey, coming up on coming up on Monday, we're uh, we're gonna learn. Monday's episode gonna be, today was all about that that, that weed, right, or, or the yeah. cannabis yeah. Uh, and the hemp. Um, yeah. We're gonna be learning about the future of airborne drone delivery with Ryan Walsh from Valkyrie. They have uh, we talked about the story yeah, on yeah, here, yeah. but they have these drone mailboxes. So we're actually gonna talk to the guy behind the drone mailboxes and how this is gonna work for 
for dropping off packages. And you know, Michael yeah. Vincent, you live in a subdivision. I do. Um, I live in an apartment. I was kind of seeing how they would work. And they are kind of ideal for those situations because they have a, a community mailbox. Oh, yeah, yeah, Where yeah. the drone yeah. just kind of drops it right in there. Yeah, and that makes you would, sense. You would get a notification and you would go and, you know, in a code and you would go and pick it up. So yeah. either either one in a subdivision or in your because they could have it down at the end. Yeah, of the, yeah. anywhere you could kind of like congregate and communicate. Yeah, have sure. communities of people. Yeah, absolutely. That makes perfect sense. That, that'll be very cool. I can't wait to see that. Yeah, we talked a bit about insurance today, so it's a good thing we're touching base with Scott Cornell, transportation lead and crime theft specialist over at Travelers, and then to see Goodwin. She's coming on. She's going to share her comeback story, and this is one that has a twist. Ooh, are you going to tease it? No. Okay. No, it's going to have a twist, though, but it's a comeback story that is now a comeback story in process. She's going back for round two in this comeback journey, and maybe some of our listeners can help her. Hey, radio will be on Saturday for only two more weeks. Find me on Twitter, at Timothy Duner. That's D-O-O-N-E-R. Connect on LinkedIn. Find him at Vincent the Dude or Michael Vincent on LinkedIn. Hey, go make that Caesar salad. Go make that Caesar salad for your daddy, for your mommy, for your brother. Peace and love. Peace and love.